So, Mark. Yes? I don't want to get too deep into it for people who haven't looked at the title of the episode. But this week's movie is about someone who has not ever kissed. (laughs) Wow, well, way to spoil the movie. And I was wondering if there was anything interesting that you had to share, perhaps as advice for this character, if you were meeting them, this grossy person, about your own first kiss. So my first kiss was a very genuinely sweet moment. I was dating my high school girlfriend. We'd been dating for a little while. A red flag word just happened. Yeah, a red flag word. She says, oh, you can climb out onto my roof. Isn't that nice? And then she brought me out onto her roof and we're sitting there and we have our first kiss. And it's very nice. But at the time, I didn't know why. But I was like, I don't like doing this. I think we know why now. (laughs) And it's because she was a girl. But the whole situation was really sweet. Now, my first time kissing a boy was very different. And it was, I believe I was just turned 18. I had just come out. I went to a gay club for the first time. I got drunk out of my mind. And I made out with a stranger on the dance floor. Those are different stories. Basically, the two ends of the spectrum. But I did enjoy one more than the other. (laughs) Well, hey, rooftops are cool. It was such a nice moment. And, you know, somehow I kept finding ways to get out of kissing her again in the future. And we dated (laughs) for, like, a year. No, Mark. I never even touched her boobs. Oh. So, my first kiss was, in its own weird circumstance, because um, I first kissed someone as part of a play. That is so classic. I feel (laughs) like it's very classic Catholic school, too. Yeah. So... The person that I was going to be kissing had definitely done other kissing on stage and probably also in real life. <laughs> and it was not your hot cousin, maybe, right? <laughs> it was not my hot cousin, maybe. You did not purposely try and get cast in a play to kiss your cousin? No, because this was not a Shakespeare production. This was, of course, the Elvis jukebox musical All Shook Up. Oh, Catholic school. <laughs> I am convinced to this day, like, I think I was good in the part, but I'm convinced the reason I was cast is because... I was the dad of the female lead, and they cast a redhead in that role. You know, (laughs) whatever gets you the part. I'm not mad about it. Anyway, this person that I was going to be kissing, uh, like, whenever, like, we had done rehearsals without kissing for a long time, and before we were going to start incorporating kissing, she, like, grabbed me before that rehearsal and was very kind and, like, framed it as a blocking thing where she was like, we're going to walk through, like, how we're going to block this, but was clearly just like, all right, I got to give you some sense of what you're doing. Yikes. Yep. That said, at the end of the year, we had weird theater awards, and we did win the award for best kiss. How many kisses were there? I mean, there were several in that. There are, like, five couples in that show. I, I haven't seen it. I know nothing about it. It's basically Footloose, but with Elvis songs and also homophobia and segregation and i think elvis songs cure both of them well it's nice that you went to a religious school that did a musical that tried to cure homophobia yeah <laughs> instead of saying the segregation is bad but we're okay with the other one no the, the musical is pretty clear that both are bad i'm guessing it was before my time that andrew rannells came to my school to sing one song about homophobia being dumb and then everyone became cool with it which is a thing that happens in the film the prom i did not know that happened, and I was really confused because I was like, did Andrew Rannells come to your high school? 
I was really jealous for a second. <laughs> no, there is a scene in the prom where like homophobic teens are at the mall and Andrew Randall sings them one song about how gay people are cool and then everyone's fine with it. I mean, Hillary Duff cured homophobia just by one 30 second commercial. Look, a very important commercial. That PSA changed the world. That PSA solved everything. What if people said that's so girl wearing a skirt as a top? You know, you really shouldn't say that. Say what? Well, say that something's gay when you mean it's bad. It's insulting. What if every time something was bad, everybody said, oh, that's so girl wearing a skirt as a top. A line that lives in my head and I think of very often. You should just start using it as an insult. I should start. (laughs) The weird thing is how many people would understand if I said something that was bad at work was, ugh, that so girl who is wearing a skirt as a top. I think we can make this comeback. That's our mission 2021. We're going to make the ultimate insult. That's so girl wearing a skirt as a top. Where? Wait, what are we talking about? I lost. What movie are we discussing? I'm lost. Well, we were, ta- we were talking about first kisses. Oh, uh, yes. Because until that point, we were people who had not ever kissed been by someone else. <laughs> <laughs> not ever kissed been by someone else. <laughs> I'm trying to keep some mystery here, man. (laughs) What if that's what this movie was called? (laughs) That's the, like, Chinese bootleg version of it. The movie is translated into Chinese, and then they use Google Translate to translate it back. Yeah, I love those. Oh, my God. Have you ever seen the tape of where they did that with, like, the Star Wars prequels? No, I haven't. Where they translated the subtitles into Chinese and then back into English? I mean, I always find those funny. There was one where someone did something into ancient Aramaic and then back. You have to go with the languages that Google really struggles with. There was somebody a couple years ago who was taking Disney songs and running the lyrics through Google several times and then singing them to the original tune. Yeah, at this point, Google Translate with languages like Spanish and French has honestly gotten good enough that it's no longer fun unless you go four languages deep. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's time to start talking about this, te- like, hor- hor- horrifying, scary movie that is ostensibly a rom-com. It's still a mystery what movie it is! Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast where at some point we had both not ever kissed Bin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast investigating... The least important question facing the world today. Number one, what movie are we talking about? It's a real mystery. (laughs) Number two, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or should they all be in jail? They should all be in jail. It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We'll dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are looking at the astoundingly ill-advised romances of the 1999 back-to-high-school romantic comedy, Never Been Kissed. I knew nothing about this movie. I had heard Josie Grossi and was surprised that this is where it came from. And I'd honestly seen a picture of her in her white getup online, but I just knew nothing going in. And at first, I thought it was honestly a little charming. But as the dating flirting between not just a teacher and what he thinks is a 17-year-old but a 25-year-old and an actual 16-year-old, it got really out of hand. I had to look away at times, and I just felt icky. 
I knew it was a movie about Drew Barrymore and that she had never been kissed. I really thought it would just be about Drew Barrymore at like 25 never being kissed and then trying to date men and getting kissed. Sounds great. That sounds fine. With Molly Shannon as her best friend. And John C. Riley as their boss and Gary Marshall as their big boss. Nick and I did just like continuously gasp at the beginning as each new actor showed up. Right. And then like Octavia Spencer in like a two scene role. It's just honestly, it's wild how John C. Riley is the only person that gets an and in the credits at the end. Sure. But I mean, some of the, a lot of these people aren't famous yet where like Octavia Spencer at the time worked for a casting agency. Like her main job was she would read sides with people during auditions and then sometimes would book jobs based on that. But we also have other people like Jessica Alba as like one of the teens and James Franco's first film appearance with no lines. James Edward Franco, as he is in the credits. That's right. But I was just flabbergasted at how far down the credit list Gary Marshall was. Yeah. I know it's not a big role, but he's still Gary Marshall, even at this time. He's Walter Harvey. He's Gary Marshall. (laughs) And then Molly Shannon, I feel like is well-placed in the cast list. Yeah, she's on SNL at the time this movie comes out. It was just watching the credits roll was very interesting and how prominent the teens were and then seeing Octavia Spencer barely mentioned. And I knew in my head that she wasn't Octavia Spencer yet, but she's Ma. Will, she's Ma. All right, here's my thing. My problem with this movie is that it's not Ma because this movie and Ma are both movies featuring Octavia Spencer about somebody who had a traumatic high school experience and starts hanging out with cool high school teens to try and overcome that traumatic high school experience and complications arise. And I'm sorry, in one of those movies, Octavia Spencer switches a man's blood out with the blood of a dog using IV, and that doesn't happen in Never Been Kissed. You also don't get to see Octavia Spencer running over a teenager in this movie. Ma rules. (laughs) I haven't seen it, but I've seen enough memes that I feel like I know... A decent amount. Mark, you must watch Ma. I think I would actually enjoy it. I was a little, like, it seems kind of scary because I'm still kind of a baby about horror movies. Um, but did you miss the part where I said Octavia Spencer switches an adult man's blood with the blood of a dog? <laughs> yeah, I did hear that and it really did intrigue me. My favorite part of Ma is Octavia Spencer having so much fun with the Ma memes. It's great. <laughs> My favorite one was just... In, like, mid-January, someone just sent me a tweet that just said, Trump has pardoned Ma. (laughs) I still lose it when I think about it, because it is A, plausible, and B, hilarious. I missed that one. (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway, never been kissed. I feel like more people from this movie should be in jail than Ma. Yeah, there's one person in Ma who should be in jail, and it's Ma. And I think she is arrested at the end of the movie. Okay, Will, where is the principal? That is my biggest question. Where is the administration of this school that lets any schmo with a printed out ID register as a student, even if they are clearly like 28 years old? She looks young, but she does not look like a high schooler. I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about David Arquette. Yeah, that is, I like, we hadn't gotten there yet. Because Drew Barrymore also has, like, the newspaper helping her arrange this. David Arquette prints out an ID at Tiki Post and is able to enroll as a student. Yeah, the administration of this school is criminally negligent. 
Does the administration know that she is a reporter? I assume not, but maybe. It's never clear. It's conceivable that they know about her. They definitely don't know about David Arquette. A teacher was romantically dancing with a student at prom, and no other teacher or administrator stepped in. I know that's getting to the end, but still, I just was... I was watching the movie the whole time, and I'm just like, where is the rest of the school staff? They hired two people to play teachers and paid no other actor. We've been talking since, like, our third episode, like, since we talked about Grease, about how most teachers in movies are bad. But this one rivals Easy A for, like, teachers who are straight-up predators. Well, I mean, in Easy A, one of them is just a predator, and it's even less skeevy than in this because at least the student is still in his 20s. Also, in Easy A, the bad teachers are called out as being bad, and in this one, they're the cool teachers. And just as a rule, if you're trying to be a cool teacher, you are probably being a bad teacher. I think it's still just so funny that they really did only have two actors brought on as teachers, and these two teachers do everything at the school. Well, I think there's three, because there's the P.E. teacher, there's the Spanish oh, teacher, yes, there is and a then PE there's teacher. Sam the English Maniac. God, this movie really broke me, because I feel like I've read positive stuff about it, like on Twitter, but no one talks about how creepy, no one talks about the main romance of this movie is between a teacher and who he thinks is a 17-year-old. Right, the fact that she is actually 25 does not make this okay. Because, I mean, the justification of a lot of things is that the teenager acts older than her age. Like, that is what people who are predators fall back on as their excuse. Right, it's not okay. This movie is like, that's okay. I mean, yeah, there is sort of like a a cult around this movie now where people are like, oh, no, it's charming and fun, even though it's not. Like, at the time it came out, most critics were like, eh. Most of them said, like, Drew Barrymore is good, but this movie doesn't have a whole lot going on. We should also acknowledge that the director here does not exactly have a stellar track record. Uh, This is directed by Raja Gosnell, who had previously been an editor. He edited Good Morning Vietnam, Pretty Woman, Home Alone, Mrs. Doubtfire, a lot of, like, Chris Columbus stuff. It's his second movie. His debut was Home Alone 3. And since Never Been Kissed, he has made just an array of stinkers. Like, he made the Scooby-Doo movies. He made Beverly Hills Chihuahua. He made all three Smurfs movies. Excuse me, Will. The live-action Scooby-Doo movies are at least very interesting cinema. Honestly, I have not seen them. Linda Cardellini as Velma is god-tier casting. Actually, the whole movie is really well cast. I got nothing against anybody who's in those movies. I also have not seen them. The movie is just, like, weirdly well cast, and it's entertaining, but it's still a terrible movie. I just rewatched it recently, because I saw it was on HBO Max. Did you double feature it with 2020's Scoob while you were there? I did not, but I do have to say, Shaggy's girlfriend in the Scooby-Doo movie is named Mary Jane. That's excellent. I love that. (laughs) Apparently the original script was, like, much more drug-heavy and adult, and then the studio made them cut that stuff, and the only thing they were allowed to keep was Mary Jane as the girlfriend. Well, James Gunn wrote both of them. Like, that joke feels like him to me. Yeah, I buy it. This movie was written by Abby Cohn and Mark Silverstein, who also wrote He's Just Not That Into You, which is also a bad romantic comedy. That movie was so bad. I saw it for the first time like two months ago. It was trash, I remember. And I remember watching it with rom-com fans, and they also did not enjoy it very much. They also wrote Valentine's Day, so they did the, like, sprawling romance movie for a bit. 
And their most recent thing is that they co-wrote and co-directed the Amy Schumer movie, I Feel Pretty, about the insecure woman who hits her head on the subway and then thinks she's, like, the hottest person on the planet. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I would probably feel less gross watching that than this, honestly. Yeah, the issue here is it's all the, like, adults who are horny for teenagers. And, like, not just, like, there are the weird relationships, but then there are, like, all the people at the newspaper who are talking about, like, wow, teenagers sure are hotter than they were when I was a teenager. Like, look at how hot those girls are. It's so gross. And I will say, so, I am against dress codes, and I think they're very sexistly applied. But there's a girl in this who's just wearing a bikini top as a shirt at school. Okay, but also, David Arquette shows up to prom, like, 23-year-old, the character's 23, without pants. I know, it is disgusting he should be in jail for a long time and i really don't believe in jail and mass incarceration is a problem in this country but i still was watching this and like everyone should be arrested there's a problem here the chicago sun times staff gathering around with popcorn to watch the prom commenting on how hot the students are and like hoping that she kisses someone like i think the teacher is who they're hoping for but even that i'm still just how does no one see a problem with this i mean this movie is a testament to the failure of print media because gary marshall pays for it seems like possibly months on the off chance she will find something interesting and it's like one thing to be like you're covering city hall and if you uncover a big story that'll matter and if not you're covering the business of the city no he's just like i recently learned my son has a peanut allergy therefore no one understands teens so you just go to high school and learn something about what's going on in the culture and i get that like TikTok didn't exist. They couldn't just like go online and look up what the teens were doing. But there's got to be a middle ground here in terms of what to do. I do think it is funny that John C. Riley at one point is like, we should write a story about a teacher that is a predator in the Chicago public school system. It's the only real story she finds. It is the only story, right? I can imagine a newspaper publishing an article about teenagers hanging out and doing drugs at an abandoned drive-in. But the Tribune scoops them on that because she's a nerd. She's not cool enough. Um, alright, so we're kind of working through this movie. As we said, it's directed by Roger Gosnell, written by Abby Cohn and Mark Silverstein. The other kind of big thing we need to talk about with this movie is its star, who's Drew Barrymore, who I think we've only talked about on Charlie's Angels. Is that the only Drew Barrymore movie we've watched? It might be. I think it is. That's crazy. Of course. Her seminal role as one of Charlie's angels. Yeah, but we haven't really talked about any of her, like, romancy kind of stuff. Her 51st States, her... Wait, didn't we watch Fever Pitch? Oh, you know what? We did talk about Fever Pitch. We talked about Fever Pitch. How could we forget that good movie? I forgot she's in that bad movie. Remember how Catherine tried to convince us that it was good? The thing is, she didn't. She was just annoyed that we pointed out how bad it was. Oops. Sorry, Catherine. So Drew Barrymore is at the end of a kind of tumultuous 1990s, where at the end of the 80s, she'd done a stint in rehab for drug and alcohol abuse when she was still a teenager. She got briefly engaged at age 16. A couple of other engagements in there over the course of the 90s. Posed nude for a couple of magazines like Playboy, and it just very much became one of those situations where the tabloid narrative sort of overtook other aspects of her life, which, you know, sucks for everybody involved and contributes to the narrative about child stars 
Yeah. And I mean, she was not raised in the healthiest of environments because I think she was taken to a nightclub when she was like 10 years old. Yeah. And a lot of that child star negative narrative is self-fulfilling where people are looking for problems there. Any slip up is magnified too. Right. By the late 90s, though, her film career is really kicking into gear. She's in Scream in a supporting role. And then The Wedding Singer, Ever After, is a big romantic hit for her. Then she has Never Been Kissed and Charlie's Angels the year after. That's a pretty big run. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know all of that was all back to back. And that's what puts her in the position where, like, she's the one who makes Charlie's Angels happen. Like, she's a producer on it helping to organize that movie. Well, she's an executive producer on this one, too. Right. No one knows show business like a Barrymore. I mean, that is true. They have been in show business for longer than films have existed. It's insane. So she has been in this run, and then she decides to do this movie where she comes across as a pedophile. Yes, to us. I think it is also notable for the way that it counters her tabloid persona, where her tabloid persona is very much this, like, very sexual woman. And then in this movie, the whole point of it is that she is not. She has, of course, never been kissed and doesn't really know how to interact with a lot of humans. It's interesting because I don't really think of her as the, you know, party girl sexual woman as much. I mostly just think of her as a absolutely wild talk show host. Well, I mean, part of it is because you and I were growing up. Like, by the time we would have been conscious of Drew Barrymore, this movie and some of its successors were already out. She had redefined that persona. But also, yes, the Drew Barrymore show really crowds out all other relevant space in our brains. It really kicked almost everything out until I watched this, and I was reminded that she is an actor and not... I haven't ever watched it, but the clips I've seen from that show, mind-boggling. There's one that I'm going to share on our social media sometime this week, in which... In the fall of 2020, using the magic of filmmaking, she co-anchors a segment with Grossy Josie. So it's herself, like, in costume as the character, as the teen character from this movie. But the bit is that Josie has, like, time-traveled from 1988 and is trying to talk about the news like she doesn't know anything that's happened in the last 32 years. It's very strange. But meanwhile, Drew Barrymore is, like, trying to be affirming, which is, like, People on the internet view you as an inspiration now. Like, the internet is a very kind place. Why do people view her as an inspiration? I don't know! The thing is, Josie Grossi is a much more sympathetic character than Josie, I will say. Low bar! But, my god, what is happening in this movie? And why do people like it? It's also the weird thing of, like, this movie insists that Basically, all people, and especially teenagers, are pretty much uniformly aggressively mean in a way that I'm sure exists, but I feel like I have never really witnessed. I've never seen bullying quite like what is depicted in this movie or even movies in general, because in my school, the quote-unquote cool kids, it would be uncool to even take time to pay attention to other people. That's the thing. And like... In this movie, the cool kids, like, immediately start ragging on Josie, and, like, she does show up to school wearing a ridiculous feathery outfit. That thing is both a train wreck and a work of art at the same time. But also, like, new kids are interesting. New kids don't get immediately tormented for being new. Everyone, like, wants to talk to them and find out if they're cool and will treat them as though they are cool until proven otherwise. 
Right, you have to suss out their vibe before you start bullying them. I feel like that's a trope in movies that I've never come across in the real world. It's very weird. I never understood why in movies new kids get bullied, because I've been the new kid in several places, and you feel uncomfortable, and you feel awkward, but I've never felt bullied. I was honestly welcomed into the cool kid group until I (laughs) very quickly exposed my true personality and had to relocate. And then Suzanne wouldn't let me sit with her at lunch, so I had to go and find my own friends. I'm sure you found someone who also liked the Silmarillion, Mark. Uh, excuse me, I found friends that introduced me to the Silmarillion. (laughs) So, as we said, Never Been Kissed, not a critical fave, but it was financially successful enough. It opened on April 9th, 1999, in number two, with $11 million, behind the second week of a little movie called The Matrix. Wow, that that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, number three was 10 Things I Hate About You, also in its second weekend. A much better film. Yes. Never Been Kissed made $55 million, ultimately, against a $25 million budget. So like I said, nobody took a bath on this movie. People were happy enough with it. It was recognized at all of the award shows you would expect. The MTV Movie Awards nominated it for Best Female Performance and Best Kiss. Presumably the baseball diamond kiss at the end. Yeah, I would imagine. There's not many other kisses. Yeah. Um, it lost both to Cruel Intentions. Barrymore won for Favorite Actress Comedy Slash Romance at the Blockbuster Movie Awards. Wow. What a flashback. And it was nominated at the first ever Teen Choice Awards for Choice Comedy Movie and Choice Actress Losing Comedy Movie to There's Something About Mary and Losing Actress to Jennifer Love Hewitt for I Know What You Did Last Summer. I gotta say, there were moments at the beginning of this movie, I did not hate it. And I thought at the beginning there were some nice moments, but then it just got way too into the romance. If it was just a fish out of water. If it's a 21 Jump Street movie. I would be on board, but as soon as the love interests and the, like, as soon as she sees the 16-year-old that she thinks looks like the one she was in love with and romanticizes him, that's when I was like, mm, red flag. And then the red flags start coming and they don't stop coming. The problem with this movie is that it is a romantic comedy. You could do this as a 21 Jump Street kind of thing where the journalist goes undercover to, like, find out what's going on with the teens. It could be fun. It could be goofy. Once you start having the adults crushing on teens or people that the adults think are teens, it's not okay and you can't get past it. No, what should happen is she should use the confidence she gains by going back to high school to finally flirt with and fall in love with her co-worker that she's been too shy to talk to at the Sun Times. Yeah, that's what it should be. Obviously, they have to create a different co-worker character because she doesn't want to date John C. Riley, and her assistant is like three years away from running a pickup artist website. Yes, it would have to be an entirely new character, but if I were to rewrite this movie in a way that didn't end up with people being arrested, that's how I would do it. She learns to respect herself, she becomes cool for a while, she mean girls it, where she like realizes she went too far, and she was being mean to her co-worker, and then she has to reel it back, and then they share a nice kiss, and it's her first kiss. Sounds good! I solved it. what if she wrote... A weird and strikingly vague news magazine article about no experiences in particular, but also inviting a person that everyone involved could identify to come and publicly kiss her. (sighs) That's honestly, I think, the weirdest part. Is the it's not really the weirdest part, but her reading that article was so it's like such a bad article. It's It's so weird. Why would anyone care? 
And the difference is like, in 10 Things I Hate About You, we talked about how that poem is bad. It's kind of sweet that it's bad because she is like revealing her feelings in a way that she has not publicly before. And she's a teenager. This is like a professional journalist with the front page of this section of the newspaper writing vague garbage. That's the thing I can't get over is no one would care. No single person would care about this article. I don't know. They sure packed that baseball stadium for the championship, which the team probably should have been disqualified from because they were using a 23-year-old man as part of their team to get there. Oh, my God. And then they just hire him as an assistant coach, and all the teens are supposed to respect his authority after they watched him at prom with no pants on? I just... Good God. I think we need to start talking about the romance. It is by far the worst part of this film, but I feel like we have to dig in. You're right. We'll never get there if we just keep talking about stuff. Like, we haven't talked about Tiki Post, which seems like a great business idea. I love Tiki Post. (laughs) I love Tiki Post. I love Molly Shannon. I can't believe they made a scene that is so forced, but just got Molly Shannon to come talk about sex because she is Molly Shannon. Right. That's the thing where you're like, Clearly someone was just like, we want to do a Molly Shannon sketch. It's a great idea. It, as you say, does not make any sense in the movie. John C. Riley is doing a good job. Yeah. I would say. Uh, Gary Marshall is just insane. His character makes absolutely no sense. Honestly, his business plan in this movie is so dreadful. I was like, I wonder if the Chicago Sun-Times is still in business. And I know he's not actually in charge of them, but it was such a bad idea that I just wanted to verify They picked such a big newspaper for such a terrible story idea. It's so stupid. But it's interesting just because some of the stuff around the main plot is well acted. It's interesting. But then you get to the second half where the romance is the center and it just goes fully off the rails. It becomes, like, impossible to ignore how bad bad of a situation it is. And... Luckily, this is a podcast where we focus on romance, which happens to be the worst part of this movie, so I think it's time to dive in. So every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into five points so we can walk through it. So for our first point of romance here, we need to skip past all the setup and how like Gary Marshall didn't know his kid had a peanut allergy and therefore no one knows anything about teens. Gary Marshall also does not look like someone with a teenaged son. No. It actually... Gary Marshall's real-life daughter is in that boardroom meeting. Is she really? Yeah, we've talked about Kathleen Marshall before. She also plays the assistant in The Princess Diaries. Anyway, Drew Barrymore is assigned to go undercover at high school and find something that will make a compelling story. And so the romance starts her first day of school when she encounters the two men that she will have inappropriate flirtations with. And they're inappropriate in different directions. Welcome to Shakespeare's As You Like It. Are you sure you're 17? I'm 17. (laughs) On the one hand, as you've mentioned, there's Guy, who is like 16 years old, and he's the cool kid, which in this movie just means he's the mean kid. This movie fundamentally misunderstands the coolness. Cool kids can be bullies, but they aren't just bullies. Whereas in this movie, it's all about bullying. Part of what makes someone cool is that people like them, and there's no reason anyone would like these cool kids. Right, because, I mean, so this movie is kind of similar to Mean Girls in structure, where she, like, starts as a nerd, becomes cool, and then realizes she went too far. 
But Mean Girls 1 does it better. And I feel, too, the plastics are much more believable as, like, popular girls because there are reasons to look up to them. They exude confidence in a way where it's, like, by complimenting her skirt as a way of being an insult is so much more believable than just saying, like, your skirt's ugly. Right. Does that make sense? No, yeah, it's the the subtle dig is more of what you're going to see because people are not so openly awful. Because if you were this openly awful, administration would step in and punish you for being a bully. Right, but I think this school has no administration. I think that's what David Arquette discovered. Like, he was the first person ever to go into the main office, and what he discovered was just, like, a computer in there. Just a lappy. It's that episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend where they have to replace Daryl with a mop. Like, that's just (laughs) who is running the school. (laughs) It is the Daryl mop. So anyway, first off, she meets Guy who she has this, like, flashback vision to, like, he's the cool boy that she was in love with in high school, who was also a jerk to her. There's no reason she would like these boys. No, they're just mean. They're not, like, they're not even that good looking, neither of them. Correct. We should note that while the character guy is 16, the actor is older than Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I mean, this movie points out the ridiculous casting of high schoolers in Hollywood. Does it? I just think the movie needs to cast much older people, so that we believe that Drew Barrymore would blend in. No, I think it's just funny because the producers know that casting Drew Barrymore as a high schooler will be accepted by the American public because they're so used to seeing 25-year-olds play high schoolers. Yeah, that is true. So anyway, the other man that she meets is her English teacher, who insists that he be referred to as Sam, acknowledging that the administration would not like it if he told his students to call Sam, which shows that from the drop, he is breaking down the barriers between teachers and students, and these barriers are in place to set important boundaries. He's throwing up red flags from the beginning. He is an authority figure with power, and the differential should be acknowledged. And also, he's young enough that he needs to have the mister, because otherwise the relationship clearly gets too close. If a, like, 60-year-old man was like, I'm close to retirement, I don't care anymore, it's still a different vibe than someone who's probably barely out of college. The boundaries are really important. Just go by Mr. Last Initial. Yeah. But he's insisting on showing off how cool he is. You can just call him Sam. He's got a street hockey stick ready to do some tricks with at a moment's notice. I I, I forgot about that. It is specifically a street hockey stick. It's got a plastic blade with holes in it. Oof. I hated him from the get-go. Yeah, he's obviously a, a, a bad dude. He teaches English. He's showing them off how cool Shakespeare is. This is, like, kind of part of that run of movies from, like, Clueless to Easy A, where it's the teen movies that are riffing on classic literature. This one is less connected than a lot of those others, but it's there. Yeah, it's playing off of that. And Nick and I were actually talking about those movies during this one because it's so evocative. Right. I, I mean... It is in the box office right above 10 Things I Hate About You. Right, because that one's Nick's favorite, and I was saying Clueless is mine, and then this is just bad. Yeah, this one, not a winner. Clueless, great movie. Yeah, yeah. these are all movies that we've covered on the podcast. You can listen to them if you haven't. All right, so Sam, terrible teacher, inappropriate from the get-go, and basically starts noticing how pretty Josie is. She's pretty, she's smart, like, she's engaged in class to a weirdly freakish degree, like, she keeps insisting on giving the etymologies of words, 
Because she's a copywriter. Yeah, it's the kind editor. of thing where, like, he's supposed to be like, wow, look at this, like, smart, sophisticated teenager that I'm going to crush on because I'm a monster. But I'm listening to that, and I'm just like, if I asked a simple question and you insisted on responding with etymologies, I would be annoyed. I do love that they have the pretty but mean girlfriend. Oh, my gosh. Okay, that's forcing point number him, two. Forcing him to move to New York. Yeah, let's go to point number two. So, at this point... Uh, Basically, point number two is this concert. No, I'm telling you, Rob. I think I really did it. I think I'm totally in. I was so cool. <laughs> you know what's a weird word for? <laughs> oh, did I tell you about the new friends I made? I made friends with a whole table of Rastafari. Not just one, a whole table. <laughs> Josie has gotten in trouble with her bosses, Gary Marshall and John C. Riley, because she is not cool. So she just hangs out with the nerds, which is fun for her, but she's missing out on all the stories about what cool kids are doing. So she has to become cool. So one night, she goes to this, like, reggae club? I guess. I guess it's post the 90s swing dance revival. Yeah, this feels closer to 90s ska, but I don't think there are enough horns for it to actually be ska. It's not ska, but it's very, like, it's the reggae that ska is based on. Right. And she's at this weird concert, and the teens are there, and so is her teacher. Bad mix. Yeah, it's just the kind of thing of, like, I get how it is plausible for all these people to wind up in the same circumstance. If I'm the teacher, I probably leave. I just, I feel it happened in high school, in my high school, because, you know, high schoolers in Singapore, it's very easy to get a fake because you only have to be 18, and then some high schoolers are 18 there are bars and there are hawker centers where students go and then there are ones where teachers go and this is known to avoid the situation where they run into each other right and the thing is not only are they present sam the bad teacher goes out of his way to introduce his girlfriend to his student it's weird it's so weird As you said, the girlfriend is an evil, attractive blonde woman who has the audacity to try to get him to move to New York City. At first, I really thought she was Jan Levinson Gould. I had to check that she wasn't played by Melora Hardin. She was very much those vibes. Not Jan Levinson from later seasons. Very much Jan Levinson Gould, who is very recently ungoulded. The movie just keeps going out of its way to, like, make this woman awful for the crime of not liking this music and not wanting to be long distance for a sixth year. And also not wanting to meet a 17-year-old girl at a club. Right, like, justice for the girlfriend who has been done dirty by this movie and by her, like, sex criminal boyfriend. I mean, she's better off without him, so thank God that he leaves her. So they're at the club. She accidentally eats a pot brownie, which a large pot brownie, a large one. But apparently the writers of this movie have no idea how pot makes a person act because she goes crazy and gets on stage and starts dancing. It makes people hyper, right? Yes, famously so. And it's funny because it's just, it is behavior that you would do when you're drunk. It is not behavior you would do when you're high, except for when she's home eating the pie. That is actually, I feel, a pretty funny, she accidentally did pot joke. Yes, that's a good one. I love what she said on the phone. I have to go. Someone ate all my pie. But, like, she oversleeps, and the next day she rushes to school in the same clothes. And the club was called, like, 
Lazerfelds or something, so that when she fell asleep on her hand, now loser is rubbed off on her forehead. From the under 21 stamp on the back of her hand. Yeah. I did like that at the club, they were not going to bother to card her until she insisted. (laughs) That was good. They're like, you are clearly an adult woman. I mean, yeah, she's definitely looks over 21. So anyway. Oh, boy. This takes us to point number three. Big change number one in point number three is that she's going to have help becoming cool because her 23-year-old brother, played by David Arquette, printed off an ID so that he can go to school and just be cool like he was in high school and the teens will obviously still think he's cool and then he and can make her cool too. He's trying to get scouted for the minor leagues. Right! He was a baseball player. He didn't do college for some reason. I forget why. He got like an injury and then didn't pick it up after he recovered. Right. And so now he's decided the best way to get scouted into the minor leagues is to pretend to be a high school baseball player. Of course, another way to get scouted is to play baseball for college. It's insane. Anyway, he starts planting not rumors, but positive rumors about how cool she is, like that she had dumped him in the past after he has established himself as a cool kid. And all of a sudden, the popular girls reevaluate and start hanging out with her. Right, which also starts giving her an in with Guy, the 16-year-old that she wants to bang. Well, all I can tell you is that when you're my age, guys will be lined up around the block for you. You have to say that because you're my teacher. Actually, I shouldn't say that because I'm your teacher. Oh, also this whole time she is wearing a brooch that is a camera and a microphone and all of her co-workers are watching. This starts happening because John C. Riley decides she is too incompetent to run this undercover operation, so they need eyes on her. Note that I said eyes. So she has this like little camera that she's wearing on her clothes. They can see and hear, but she cannot hear them. So I don't know how this is supposed to help her be better at it unless she's getting notes at the end of every day. Maybe that and also maybe it's so that they could watch the tapes and write the article themselves. Maybe. It's also notable that in addition to her increasingly flirting with the 16-year-old, she is also increasingly flirting with the adult teacher who thinks she is a child. Like, for example, at some, like, fairground, she's about to get on the Ferris wheel when the guy running the Ferris wheel is like, Single rider! Someone's alone! Anybody, anybody who wants to get on the Ferris wheel could do it right now with this loner. And then Sam, the teacher, like, sprints over so that he can ride with her. Also a weird move. This was the moment where it really, like, turned for me. It's where it first felt absolutely rotten, and I couldn't really do it anymore. I mean, this is also where he's then, like, talking to her about his relationship issues, which, again, like, you need boundaries with students. Awful. Truly just uncomfortable. So it's rough, but she's being cool, and I think the thing that sells everyone on her is when they have to abandon their prom theme (laughs) and they say Josie you can come up with a new one they have to abandon it of course because they've had the award winning prom for the last several years and if another school is going to have the same theme they won't win the prom award so she comes up with famous couples of history a bad theme because apparently prom is a costume event at this school part of it is that like She calls it meant to be, and it's like famous couples throughout history. But the thing that we have not discussed is the fact that 
the reason she has never kissed anyone is because she subscribes to the destructive belief that, like, there is one magical person for you, and you just gotta hang in there and wait for the one magical person. It's really rough, because I can tell you from experience, it is helpful to get the nerves out by just drunkenly making out with a stranger on the dance floor, honestly. Or pull the person aside ahead of the real kiss and give them a little practice round. It it just takes the nerves off so you can enjoy the kiss with the person you like more. But yeah, she has uh, insane beliefs about romance, refuses to kiss anyone, but is super romantic. And then the meant to be is just so bad. It's a bad theme. But also at the same time, who has ever heard of a costume prom? Look, I love the idea, but I that is like not a idea, thing. But that's not prom. It's a costume party. Right. It's like Halloween, but only with couples costumes. Yeah, because so all the popular girls are dressed as Barbies. You see Sandy and Danny in the background dancing at one point. The nerds show up changed together as a DNA strand. There's a Mary and Joseph who are denied a seat at a table because there's not room. I giggled. There's an Adam and Eve who are only wearing leaves. Again, where's administration? There is a adult man there without pants on. Right, because David Arquette, the adult man who is here with a teenage girl and is pretty explicit about his intent to hook up with her, is dressed as Tom Cruise in Risky Business, which means he is not wearing pants. Which also means that she is dressed as a sex worker. We should do Risky Business. We should. That movie rules. Uh, Yeah, so uh, inappropriateness all around. I don't know when we got to the prom. I think that's the next point. But point three, uh, they're actually at a party and Guy tries to take her to a room. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he takes her up to her bedroom. I think it's like her parents' house. I mean, she was probably like, I have to host this high school party for work. And he takes her up to the room. It is because it's got photos of her as an actual teenager. Oh, right. So it's her bedroom at her parents' house. And he clearly wants to like have sex with her right there. Oh, definitely. But she dodges it and just gets asked to prom, and that's that. And that brings us to point four, which is the prom. When a whole lot goes down. Let me tell you something. I don't care about being your stupid prom queen. I'm 25 years old. I'm an undercover reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, and I have been beating my brains out trying to impress you people. Oh, we didn't talk about her prom trauma. Right, so as a teen, the cool boy that she liked invited her to prom, but it was all a scam to have her standing outside her house in a nice dress so that he could egg her. With another popular girl. In the car. Which, again, is just, like, not a thing that people do. Like, maybe Uh, it's happened in the world. Imagine going to that much effort. Right. It shows how much you care that you're going out of your way to make their life worse. Yeah, I don't get it. So now this is exciting for her because she's going to have a good prom with this teenage boy. She tries calling out David Arquette for being like, hey, you can't have sex with that teenage girl. She's a teenage girl. And he's like, you're going all lovey-dovey on the teenage boy. And she's like, well, I guess you're right. Oh, that's one of my least favorite moments. Yeah. It's just like this family of perverts. You got me there. So she and Guy are dressed as Rosalind and Orlando. So they're in like Shakespearean costumes. She's clearly doing it to impress Sam, the bad teacher. 
And it works because he dances with her. Yes, he dances with her much too close and romantically, as you said. And for much too long. Right, and they reach a point where she's like, I've got something to tell you. And he's like, I've got something to tell you. And she is clearly going to say, I'm an undercover reporter. I'm an adult. And he's clearly going to say, I'm in love with you. Because by this point, he's already been like, yeah, my girlfriend and I broke up. Guess what? Um, If you are a high school teacher and you're about to confess your love to your teenage student, uh, you're in the wrong and you need to find a new job and not be around kids. Correct. I do like that when he offers to dance with her and he's kind of like, should we dance? I don't know. It is exactly what happens in Arrested Development when George Michael has the plan to date his teacher and his plan is to be like at a dance like, I don't know. Do you want to dance? Like it's a joke. And then he sees oh my it God. work with another kid. It is. That is what oh happens my God. in this movie. She was chaperoning the diversity dance, and I thought, like, maybe as a joke thing, I'd go up to him and be like, oh, hey, do you want to dance? And she'd be like, eh, what the heck, right? Or something. I don't know. I did it differently in the mirror. But, right. you know, like, we'd be joke dancing or something. And I get it. I didn't think it through. Well. Don't you think you should be taking somebody your own age to the dance? Uh, Wow. Oh, she's already been named prom queen at this point, and everyone at her office is watching and super happy about it. I like that her assistant is running betting pools on what will happen at the prom. But during her dance with the teacher, she rips the camera off so they can't see when she stops a prank on her old friend who is a nerd and then gets mad and admits that she is an adult. Right. She blows the lid on the whole story. Sam, the bad teacher, quietly storms away while she gives a, frankly, uninspiring speech to the teens about how you're going to be okay after high school. It's really not a well-written speech. But the teens all clap. The Chicago Tribune actually scoops this story. (laughs) Incredibly. Which I found very funny. So, like, what does this mean? Like, the Tribune had a reporter on site covering the prom? Maybe one of the teachers went to the Tribune. I like the idea that there's another reporter there from the Tribune doing the same thing. Like, maybe Jessica Alba is a reporter for the Tribune. That would be a twist for the century. That's how they found out about the teens, like, smoking at the drive-in. They found out about this. It's like that SNL sketch about narc school. Oh my god, imagine. School full of narcs. Oh, I love that idea. But instead, no, she is going to get fired, but redeems herself by writing this weirdly personal article instead. Well, first, like, prom night, she goes outside. David Arquette is pissed at her because he's like, I was about to be in the big championship game. It was going to make my career. And then she sees Sam the bad teacher, and he's like, you made a fool of me. Like, I can't believe you would do this to me. And it's like, dude, you should be overjoyed because you are about to commit a crime and you're getting lucky. Seriously, I don't understand his reaction at all. This is the best news that ever happened to you unless you knew that you were a straight up pedophile and were cool with it. Well, I mean, I think he's mad because he thinks that she's leading him on to write a story about the pedophile at the school. Which at that point is kind of sort of true because John C. Riley was like, that's the interesting story you found. Like, this teacher who is clearly crushing on a student and is working towards acting on it. Which is a accurate read of the situation. Yeah. But then he storms off, and this brings us to point five. So, as you said, she writes this bad, vague newspaper story about, like, I went back to school, and I learned all this stuff about me. Also, I've never been kissed, but there's a guy who I want to kiss. I can't say who he is, but everybody reading this article knows. So I will be on the pitcher's mound for five minutes before the big championship baseball game, and this guy can come and kiss me. Or not, IDK. Thank you. Um, may I have five minutes on the clock, please? 
Cut to the baseball game, which is actually what the movie started with, but with no context. It's just her standing on a baseball mound. And the five minutes that she said she would stand there pass. By the way, with a packed stadium, including all the people from the school and all the people from the Sun-Times. And just other reporters who are here to write on the story. Right. And then a little bit after the clock has run out, Sam the Bad Teacher comes jogging through the bleachers and he comes down and gives her an MTV Movie Award nominee for Best Kiss there on the pitcher's mound. Uh, mm, uh. Disgusting, and that's how the movie ends. Yeah, this movie is full of people who are bad and shouldn't be allowed to be around kids. But don't worry, David Arquette, who went to the dance with no pants on, is going to be an assistant baseball coach. David Arquette, a 23-year-old man who wanted to and almost slept with a 16-year-old, yep, is now around 16-year-olds all the time. Seems bad. So, Will, do you find the romance of this movie believable? Not in the slightest. (laughs) The romance of this movie only works if Sam is already a pedophile, essentially. Yes. And as we said, he already is blurring the boundaries between teachers and students in some alarming ways. But, yeah, no, the romance is not believable, and it's also bad. I get why she would be attracted to him. Sure, that I have no problem with. Because she's attracted to an adult. But she is also attracted to a teenager at some point in this movie. To the point that she... And is okay with it. Yeah, she's attracted to a teenager to the point that when her brother calls her on it, she's just like, yep, you're right. So that's gross. Everything about this movie is gross. So every week we rate the believability of a movie's romance on a 10-point scale, where zero means we believe none of it, and 10 means we believe all of it. Where would you put the romance of Never Been Kissed? I think the main problem with this is the widespread sexualization of teenagers, especially, where it really paints every adult man in Chicago as creepy. Yes. And attracted to teenagers, which I don't think is really true. So on top of everything else... Are you positing that this is a universe where people are all creepily attracted to teens? Is this a universe where everyone is horny for teenagers? Is this like a Peter Rabbit scenario where we have to accept the anthropomorphized rabbit? Uh, No, uh, we're not because it is depicted as being in the real world. So I'm just going to go ahead and give this like a a three. I am going to give it a two. I am bewildered and alarmed by all of it. I mean, yes, that is me as well. All right. Now, do you think that Josie or Sam is dateable? No. They are both pedophiles. Also, even if Josie weren't, she would still be annoying. Yeah, she's also just annoying. And Sam, by being called Sam by the students, is also annoying. Yes. Also, how quickly he grabbed that hockey stick was annoying. All bad. Everyone is bad. Do you think Josie and Sam would stay together? I mean, I hope so, because hopefully that means he won't be attracted to any more children. I had the same thought. Uh, If you did have to choose someone in this movie to date, who would you pick? Maybe John C. Riley. That's who I was thinking too. Molly Shandon seems like a little much, but John C. Riley is just someone who is devoted to his job and wants to be good at it. Right, and he is generally fairly kind to the people at work. Like, even when he seems kind of brusque, he is trying to protect people's feelings more than I think is obvious on the surface. He's also in a position where he's literally on the verge of being fired. Of course he's going to be a little brusque. Yeah. I think he's the best answer. The other obvious choice would be Octavia Spencer, who says very little and is Octavia Spencer. And just carries herself in a way where you know you want to date it. You're like, before long, 
She's going to roll up in that car and offer to buy booze for teens. And then run him over, just like Mr. Toad. Ma! On his wild ride. All right. Now, Mark, the most important question. Many of the films we've covered on this podcast have been adapted into stage musicals. Should this occur with Never Been Kissed? No, this movie should not be retouched, I guess. So if this movie was remade in a not creepy way using the fix I had earlier, it would be better. And then maybe you could make it into a musical because I think the shenanigans of going back to high school could be fun in a musical setting, like a 21 Jump Street thing. But then you have songs from the era where the adult is from mixed with songs from the now. But it's hard to get over the existential creepiness of this film. Yeah, I I basically agree with you that I think like part of the premise could work. But that gets to our original idea of like this movie would be better if it were a comedy and not a romantic comedy. And I think the comedy version of it would work as a musical. The romantic comedy version doesn't work anywhere. Or if it's a romantic comedy, it's her and a fellow adult who knows what's happening with this situation. And she has a completely platonic relationship to all of the people at the school. Now, there has not been a major musical adaptation of Never Been Kissed. But there is a theater in Los Angeles called Rockwell Table and Stage that does a number of movie adaptations specifically like adaptations of comedies as musicals. And in January of 2020, they did put on Never Been Kissed, the unauthorized musical. all of this is their fault. (laughs) I think that we are being punished for their sins. (laughs) The the pandemic, you mean? Yes. All of humanity is suffering for the sins of this dinner theater in Las Vegas. Los Angeles. Los Angeles, excuse me. Well, I think that about does it for Never Been Kissed, this Deeply, deeply troubling movie. Next week, we are watching one of the first movies I ever watched to make fun of, and it was in a public theater. We are watching Dylan Dog, Dead of Night. Which I know of only through times you have brought it up on this podcast. I am excited to revisit it. I think it won't be as fun as I found it when I was a high schooler in a row of 10 of my friends who were all making fun of the movie. But I think there are some ridiculous moments that will stand out. And we'll find out. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at love to love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovedolovepod at gmail.com. This movie was a listener suggestion from Jakendra via email, so keep those coming in. Please rate, review, and subscribe. If you review us on Apple Podcasts, I will read it and I will smile. Even if it's a bad review, let's be real. Shout out to the man that got mad at us for talking about a movie instead of being a radio play. It really helps people find the show. Last question, Mark. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from Never Been Kissed? I guess the only thing I can say is date people your own age. Because that is what happens at the end, and that is advice that is good. Not even your own age. Don't date teenagers. That's a big one. Uh, I'm going to say, in a similar spirit, be honest about who you are. All right. (laughs) There you go. Until next time, I'm Gay. And I'm a Ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Give up. Give up. You cannot do it back in. Give up. Give up. Tune in and slam the door. You do not care what you're saying. Let us bear. bothered me. It's funny how
how certain distance, how small is everything, and the fear is that one sky.